0: There's at least a dozen nonprofits looking for a relatively senior, if not the most senior development or fundraising role at any time.
1: Yep. And I think it's tragic, actually. Well, there are a few reasons why that is the case. But the fact of the matter is that senior fundraisers are known to turn over every 18 months. And someone told me last week uh, that it was actually 14 months. You're listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast, brought to you by kevkayat.com. Kev helps nonprofit leaders deliver more impact faster and easier, so they can be mission accomplished in 40 hours a week or less. For more information, visit kevkayat.com. Because good causes deserve better results. Now... Here is the host of Nonprofit Problem Solver, Kev Kayat.
0: Hello, Kev Kayat here. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver, brought to you by Yachtme, the virtual events platform 100% free to nonprofits, and Pod Pro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. Thanks for tuning in. Let's be clear you are actually the Nonprofit Problem Solver. As host, my job is to extract from our guests the practical, tactical expertise that you can put straight into action. This is a recording of a live event hosted on Yacht.me. Did I mention it's 100% free to nonprofits? Find out more at y.yacht.me. That's w-h-y dot y-o-t dot m-e. Join me on these live events every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Register at yacht.me or nonprofitproblemsolver.com. You can find me, Kev Kaid, at Kayot.com as well as on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Clubhouse. Join the Nonprofit Problem Solver Club on Clubhouse and the Nonprofit Problem Solver Facebook group to get all the latest practical, tactical advice on being the best nonprofit entrepreneur you can be. And check out my coaching programs at nonprofitentrepreneur.com. Seems like there's always at least half a dozen jobs going for senior fundraisers or directors. And the turnover rate is scary. The average time someone stays in one of these jobs is around 18 months. My guest today is Kimberly McKenzie, one of Canada's premier nonprofit coaches, who's done the fundraising gig herself more than once. She explains what exec directors and even fundraisers themselves can do to keep people in post for longer, doing their best work. That's a win for everybody. Let's tune in. welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast. Here we are live on the YachtMe platform. This is a virtual events platform that is free, 100% free to nonprofits. No licenses, no contracts. Uh, it's a great way to um, uh, host an event or uh, create a hybrid event to partner with your live event. Uh, so thank you to the folks at Yachtme for hosting the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast week in, week out. And also to PodPro Audio, that makes professional podcasting easy. So, my guest today in episode 41 is Kimberly McKenzie. How are you?
1: Hi, I'm great. It's beautiful. It's sunny here. I'm happy to be with you. Great. So, you are in Ontario, Canada. I am. We call it the Haudenosaunee Territory. Uh, that's the traditional land and the Anishinaabe people. Uh, And settlers call it Barrie, Ontario, and I am north of Toronto, Ontario, by about two hours. Right. Okay. So now we know where we are geographically. Uh, Tell us
0: a bit about your uh, nonprofit career and what you do now and where people can find you online and anything else that you'd like to promote or
1: share or tell us about. Wow. Okay. I'm going to try to do this briefly. I fell into the sector through my volunteer work as a young mother, very passionate about helping women and facilitating um, motherhood for them, with them. And I started doing so much volunteer work that they started to pay me, which was perfect Uh, (laughs) (laughs) because then I was able to transition from being an at-home mother to a, a, a fundraising professional and they purchased an AFP membership for me. So I, I, I think it was like $15 an hour, 15 hours a week or something was my entry to the sector. And I was twisting the rope as I climbed the mountain, reading books as I was writing letters and all of that. Um, But they did get me an AFP membership. And eventually uh, I transitioned into a role as an executive director. And then I transitioned to a larger organization as a director of fundraising. And then I transitioned into a consultant where I was an interim executive director. Mm. And uh, then I had a consultancy where I was doing all sorts of things, but mostly just loving the whole change management side of it. And and I recently launched the Intersection Hub, which is a, a social enterprise around focused around collaboration helping people be the best they can be, lifting folks up. I'm also an AFP master trainer and have been a CFRE for a long time. I'm a generalist, jack of wow. all trades, yes. master yeah, of knowledge. Well, and, and then in full
0: transparency, you and I do uh, quite a lot of uh, clubhouse collaboration yeah. and uh, things of that nature. So I yeah. know that you are a, a lifelong learner and you've got a, a, a wonderfully active and open mind and you're always looking for new ideas. Yeah, I forgot to say sweet. that part, so I had to say it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's sweet. I am. We, we could do a whole conversation around uh, the benefits or d- pitfalls of Clubhouse. We should think about that yes, for another time. We could,
0: yeah. You know, and when you, when you said Clubhouse, there, I thought you were going to say the benefits or pitfalls of collaboration. Yes. <laughs> um, no. that, that's a, that's a, I mean, well, some people actually do feel there are pitfalls. I think they're far uh, outweighed by the benefits, of course, uh, but uh, people won't be surprised to hear me say that. Yeah. So, <laughs> where can people find you online uh, when you're not in a clubhouse room?
1: Well, at Kimberly Canada on Twitter and on Instagram and Clubhouse, of course. I'd also love folks to just sign up to my email list at theintersectionhub.ca and join the community and get updates there. Um, And, of course, LinkedIn. And they can call me. My number's all over the Internet. You know, the funny thing is, Kev, I put my phone number all over the place. No one uses the phone anymore.
0: No one uses the phone. Well, not the people that you want to use the phone.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I (laughs) welcome you to (laughs) call. Yeah.
0: Saying that... uh, Someone's got a hold of your social security number or something like that.
1: Yeah. Um, Right. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: Okay. And what sort of uh, work are you doing right now in terms of helping people or coaching or consulting? What what have you got on offer at the moment?
1: Well, um, I'm, I have actually disbanded my uh, traditional consultancy. I don't do cases for support. I won't do, I'm not going to say I won't do a plant giving program because I love plant giving, but I'm connecting with a lot of other amazing consultants that can focus on the tactical stuff. Um, I'm in flow, facilitating a conversation with your team. If, if the team is fractured or not aligned and needs to get to alignment, I'll walk in there an hour from now and we'll work through that together. Um, and I'm loving the coaching. And that that was a big part of my consultancy that had the biggest impact, um, and was just not not set up as an offering. It was a sidebar. So I've made that All front right. and center, and I'm loving the coaching clients that I'm working with, and getting so much joy from their success. Really, truly, I really do believe if you give two, you get one back. Eventually, you know, I really, really believe that. Yeah, so, yeah.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. I I I would uh, I, I would uh, echo those sentiments. I think the um, Coaching, I think both both the most successful or effective uh, coaches and, and managers and leaders, mm-hmm. you know, uh, include coaching is just sort of part of what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so it's not that it's not that crazy to transition to doing that, uh, you know, right. on, on a full time basis.
1: Well, it, and it also solves a really big problem in our sector, and uh, that is staff turnover. So, speaking of which, yes, sir. The question, the problem that we're solving this yeah. week. Yes. Is
0: uh, why do fundraisers leave, and what will keep them? Mm
1: -hmm. So let's talk
0: about the problem first. Yeah. Uh, I mean, open up any. I nearly said, (laughs) nearly said newspaper, showing my age. But but if we, if you, if you look at, (laughs) or click to, (laughs) navigate (laughs) your browser to, uh, any sort of job, uh, job postings. Yeah. um, (laughs) yeah, There's clearly a lot of churn. particularly in the fundraising side of nonprofits. Yes. Yes. If you're a, if you're in a reasonably sized metropolitan area, there's at least a dozen nonprofits looking for a relatively senior, if not the most senior development Mm -hmm. or fundraising role Mm -hmm. at any time.
1: Yep. And I think it's tragic, actually. Uh, I think it's tragic because, well, there are a few reasons why that is the case. But the fact of the matter is that senior fundraisers are known to turn over every 18 months. And someone told me last week uh, that it was actually 14 months, but I haven't been able to verify that with any data. So I'm still going to go with 18 months because there's a good research paper out on that. And so let's think about that. You know, let's think about that 18 months, what happens there. And and what happens there is it's classic um the first six months is a honeymoon period where everybody loves everybody and there's just been an exhaustive search process people think that they've hired their magic bullet it's going to solve all of their problems the fundraiser doesn't actually have to deliver anything because there's no expectations in the first six months you're just there to learn the organization and understand their systems and then after that folks start to go, okay, I know what we need to do to build a successful fundraising program. So now they start to push and poke a little bit at the existing system. And and then it takes them about six months to realize that the system is dysfunctional and they're not going to be successful. So then they spend six months looking for another job. That's what happens. Happens time and time again. It costs every organization at least one year's salary to replace a senior level fundraiser. So you know that could be anywhere from eighty to one hundred and ten thousand dollars on average, um, and and as a result of we never get the traction we need in our fundraising programs. So that's that's a really big problem, and I think that that problem exists because fundraising as a profession is grossly under misunderstood. Does that make sense? So yeah, it,
0: it does, and I, and I think I think that's part of. It almost points to a different problem. It seems mm-hmm. um, around the alignment of expectations mm-hmm. and what uh, the board or an executive director uh, might expect of the of the new post holder, say during right. that honeymoon period. But um, that's a different problem from the organization being dysfunctional. <laughs> well, know, so, so those you know they yeah. they, can, they can obviously come they can appear simultaneously um, and they're not mutually exclusive.
1: I think that it's really easy. In, in all due respect, I, I adore you. It, it's really easy for us to paint a broad brushstroke and say, "Oh, the organization is dysfunctional." Let's instead ask ourselves: How can we, as leaders in the sector, function better to create a successful outcome? And um, and that I think hinges on the relationship with the executive director on how we approach our job and uh leading with grace and humility and curiosity and being more human forward in how we approach this profession um i think one of the there's a, a, a compass point uh did a a fabulous uh, paper on on fundraising uh, um, effectiveness and the state of change in staffing and retention. And their research, which was very comprehensive, and I'm happy to share a link to that with you, still the best report out there, Um, said that 43% of executive directors think that their fundraising is effective. That means that 57% of executive directors in a $470 billion sector think that fundraising is effective, is not effective. It is not effective. It's defective. It's defective. <laughs> like, think about that. And, and 51% of fundraisers say they're leaving their job within the next two years. They're already planning the exit. So when it takes 24 months to develop, oh, I'm on a bit of a rant, Kev. Um, When it takes takes 24 months to realize a leadership gift or a significant gift or build a major gift program and our fundraisers are leaving the sector in 18 months, that's a problem. And if we fix that problem, we can fix fundraising.
0: Yeah, so it's, I I think... I, th- I think you're right we can we can make broad sweeping statements about about organizations being dysfunctional and we need to approach it from a different mm-hmm. uh perspective mm-hmm. um but i think you know again you've you've pointed to what i think is a a bit of a landmine uh around the relationship of the executive director
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and and i think it it works in a in a couple of ways the obvious one is the, when the director of development or director of fundraising, however that post is titled, is a new position. Mm-hmm. Because they're really extracting from the executive director a, a massive chunk of that executive director's previous role. Mm-hmm. And in creating that role, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of things can go into creating that role. You know, yeah. externally, I think, oh, that's a great sign. They're moving on. They want a dedicated resource sure. to it. That's what a board member might think. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the executive director is saying, like, uh, have, I, have I not been good enough at it? What, you, know, you know, there's yeah. all sorts of things. Yeah. Is this person going to be, you know, after my job? All sorts of dynamics going on with the best yeah. will in the world. That relationship will take, you know, at least those, that
1: honeymoon period of six months to bet in, right? Absolutely. And that's because we're all humans, and we're a hot mess. Right? <laughs> yeah. like, we all know. Are, you know, can we just admit that
0: nonprofit <laughs> problems are human problems. Amazing.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so, I mean, that it really we, we we really do need to approach this challenge from the um, evolution of the organization that we're in. Yeah, yeah,
0: but- yeah, That's a great that's a great perspective because even if the just even if the role is not new.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, given, given the dynamics of this churn that we we're talking about and, and the, the time it's been, uh, the time that may have lapsed since anyone was in the post anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, can you imagine an executive director where you're cycling through directors of development and maybe you've been through three over the course of, say, five years? Yeah. You're constantly straddling that role because it can't be, un- it can't be not done, not work. Right. right.
1: And yet, and yet... Clearly, if you've had three, if your fundraising system has not been able to get traction and you've had that kind of turnover, it's sort of like, it's like going to the dentist. You don't really want to do it, but you need one. And so there's this stigma attached to what it takes. Hiring a fundraiser does not solve systemic problems in the organization.
0: No, hiring a fundraiser does not solve fundraising problems. Never mind systemic right. problems. Everything else, right? right. So uh, yeah, yeah So ahead. it just says something about the executive director, doesn't it? If 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 they've cycled through three fundraisers, <laughs> or it says something about their 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 recruitment policies or their board or
1: something. I, mean, well, I think it also says a lot about us. It says a lot about us. So uh, let me tell you a, a, a short story. Are we talking all day? Are we just going to keep this going all day? Like I we we
0: can't. I mean, we we've got a we've got inside yeah. of an hour from whatever it was we There's started. There's so
1: much to talk about, <laughs> but um, this but is this- what we
0: like to do on the on this podcast. We open up the problem and spill it all over the floor, and then, and then stand then we'll and admire it for at least yeah. a few minutes okay.
1: before we get out the brooms. That sounds great to me. And this is your party, so I'm going to just trust you to keep me on point. But um, I. I am now comfortable telling the story of when I was a new director of development in an organization and uh I I spent the first two weeks listening to everybody complain about my predecessor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean everybody needed to huddle me into a corner and say you know that person was really not great. And I was um
0: I it saying it, You're
1: not like that, are you? Yeah, well, it's like there was a lot of pressure on me to fix that. And I wanted to live up to that expectation. So I walked around like a bull in a china shop, right? This is wrong. That's wrong. You're wrong. You know, eventually I had to say to everybody, okay, that, let's draw a line under that relationship. We're going to move forward here. And then I thought leadership was changing things. And, of course, that created a lot of emotional conflict with my executive director, which Mm -hmm. made it even worse. Yeah. Yeah. So the expectation that I'm going to walk in with a suitcase full of money that nobody else is responsible for fundraising success and my ego around, well, I better puff myself up really big so that I can meet the expectations in front of me. That's incredibly stressful. And so then there's tension in all of your relationships. Um, so I almost lost that job, but eventually, I mean, there, were, there was a lot at risk for me and for my boss at the time. And so we sat down and we had a, a, a very candid and honest conversation, a real human conversation of, okay, this is not going well. We need to fix this because if you and I can't figure out how to work together, then none of our objectives, we're we're all going to lose. Right. So how do we get to that win-win? And so being brave enough, being humble enough to go in and say, let's solve this, and then we can go out and lead all of that.
0: Yeah, um, it's, it's also, it, it's, 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 it's having the, as you said, the humility and the courage in some senses to um, start at, at your own front door where the problems are. It's, yeah. it's very easy in our sector to, to blame lots of external forces. Absolutely. No.
1: but and we have, and we have, And we have on that point, like, let's just think about the beautiful role of a fundraiser in an organization when it's working really well. Because, you know, long story short, I stayed there for five years. We did incredible things. Their fundraising program is still off the charts. It, it's my proudest, um, one of my proudest moments. I've since done that with a few other clients. But on a positive note, we are in this beautiful position where the fundraiser has touch points with everybody within the organization. We mm-hmm. influence over the board. We have influence over senior volunteers. We have influence over program staff. We have influence over all the administrators. We have influence over the beneficiaries. Um, we get to do interviews with them and learn about the impact. Like we, We have so many touch points and if we can if,
0: just if well, we potentially i mean i think yeah. i think that's i think that's a that's a that's the description of of potential <laughs> mm-hmm. but i mean let's face it part of the churn associated with with um this um sector that this particular uh role within the sector mm-hmm. is fit you know not everybody is actually fit to be to, to approach fundraising in the way that you described Um, and there may also be uh, a question of fit between a a person's uh, approach to it and the organization that that they're in.
1: Well, sure. Um, That's possible. Um, Let's assume, though, after a rigorous hiring process, that you've established fit and culture, that you've done your due diligence, that you've just spent... $20,000, $30,000 Twenty, thirty thousand dollars 30000 working with a search company to find yeah. a really talented person. And then you walk into the organization and, 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 the, and depending on how we approach it, it can be a real challenge to bring folks on side. So again, I think that, that it's always better if a, it's better for personally, for individuals, it's better for the organization, it's better for our sector, if we can try to find a way to keep fundraisers in their job. And in that example, um, I could have said I don't fit. We're two strong women, we don't like each other, yeah. right? But, but instead, it was like, okay, in, you know, Adam Grant talks in his book, Rethink, he talks about emotional conflict versus mm-hmm. task conflict and if you can set aside the emotion and go, okay, clearly they thought I was talented enough to work here. Clearly they respected me. We all thought it was a good decision. This is not personal. We just have some systems and structures and personalities that we need to deal with. Um, We need to build some trust and respect and safety, and we can do that um, by approaching our jobs differently. And that is a leadership
0: yeah. uh, dynamic. Uh, you know, I've seen lots of organizations where uh, the, the leaders themselves uh, struggle to make that distinction between yeah. emotional and task. Yeah. And again, that's why I've seen, you know, where you, where you have this, the, the, the tension between the executive director who used to lead fundraising and the new fundraising director who now leads fundraising. Right. And there's, it, it, it's important to extract the emotional conflict from the task conflict in that case but it takes both of them to do it and or typically you'd hope that the executive director uh perhaps with some coaching or support for the board or wherever uh is is able to, to to take the lead in that regard
1: yeah and and if if she can't and i say she because usually it's a she in this sector um then again as the director of fundraising rather than coming into new organizations if if i can be so i'm just you know, generalizing, but with arrogance, and I'm saying arrogant because I was incredibly arrogant, so it's my own personal experience, rather than <laughs> approaching that way, maybe we, we can have more success if we come in with humility and with curiosity, and we ask that executive director about her experience and what she did well, and what she would like to fix. And we talked to program staff about what their needs are. You know, I was an executive director in a conservation organization, largest freshwater lake in the province of Ontario, and I sat down with the director of science and said, what do you need? And he said, I I just need a boat. (laughs) I, I want to do some research on benthic species. It doesn't matter what those are. I just, I just need to get out on the water, and I need a boat. And guess what? Once I found him a $20,000 boat, he was my best friend for my entire time there, my champion. So by being curious, telling stories, and helping to solve their problems and lift them up, then when it comes time to do something crazy or radical or different when it comes to fundraising, um, we'll have earned that trust.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, that's a truism across uh, most leadership roles, right? yeah. if, not, if not all. Okay, yeah. so, so uh, it sounds just as a quick summary here. We have um, uh, identified that one of the reasons, or some of the among the reasons, fundra- fundraisers leave is because of uh, um, that cycle of honeymoon, six months, whoops, for six months. I'm yeah. not going to be able to change things in six months to plan and, and execute mm-hmm. an exit. Right. Uh, uh, there are dysfunctions in the organization. There are relationship issues. There are aspirations, or sorry, expectations mm-hmm. issues.
1: Um, are there any other? We so we, we pretty much exhausted yeah. the list. Well, I think we're we're at risk of this in the charitable sector, in particular, because we're a passion-driven sector. You know, we 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 often put our own needs, our own physical and health needs, second to what mm-hmm. the organization needs and if there's anything you know we've got this incredible opportunity in front of us with this triple pandemic with the the trauma that we've been living through to really restructure our lives and our relationships and our work processes now's the time we're all yeah yeah i was in a i'm a I serve on a board of directors funnily enough with that other boss i was telling you about now and we, we serve on this board and uh the 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 chair of the finance committee was presenting our budget for the next fiscal year while her cat was walking all over the keyboard. And like the world has changed. So I, I do think we have this opportunity to um step into it in a new way. And I hope that we do so let's let's move over then to that that part of it. Like
0: what 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 will what will keep them? Um, and I like that you've introduced the real world that we're in and dealing with now, because there's no point in, in trying to recreate uh, the, the, the past that that's, that's not going to return. I hope we don't. Let's not do that. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, um, what, if you're, if you're an executive director listening to this and you're thinking, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm seeking out uh, a new post holder or, possibly have a rocky relationship with my existing postholder. Mm-hmm. I really don't want to lose uh, him or her. I don't want to have to go through and uh, w- lose another year right. uh, of, um, through recruitment. So yep. what are the things that executive directors should be thinking about?
1: Well, I think executive directors, I kind of feel like it's not them. I feel like it's the direct- directors of fundraising. I really do. I feel like I feel like we're the ones with we're the ones who can be curious about building an alliance with the executive director um, and exec and and that relationship needs to be prioritized. So it really does depend on the history of the executive director, but um, uh, building a collaborative and human forward culture. I think if I was leading an organization now, I would really want to do some work on that. And this is just slightly off topic, but maybe our next conversation can be about this. We, mm-hmm. As we move into this new normal, I would love every single organization to revisit their strategic plan. And I'm not saying spend $60,000 to hire a consultant, but just take a pause, pull it out, read it and say, okay, two years ago, our strategic plan we were going to go in this now we've lived through this does that still make sense let's get the team together and do a swot analysis around our experiences over the last couple of years and how we managed to deliver our programs and what happened to our fundraising and let's keep what's working and what's not working so that that is another whole thing but yeah. then um, you know as fundraisers we can approach our jobs differently We're not there to rescue an organization. We're not there to be a savior. We're there to influence rather than make change. We're going to influence change. We're going to lift people up around us, build relationships with our colleagues. It sounds so simple, but Kev, it's not being done. It's not. If it was being done, we would not have the turnover rate that we have. So we need to approach our jobs like Mr. Rogers. We need to be the helper. I don't know if you know. Oh, you are American. You know who Mr. Rogers is.
0: Yes, I know. I know Mr. Rogers well. So, um,
1: so and then as executive directors, we could building that collaborative environment and really helping your team understand the difference between emotional conflict and task conflict. Yeah, I like and that. And there's the obvious one of investing in professional development. So that's not just sending your team to um a conference. We need to see this as building it into our work week, um, not sending them away and expecting them to work while they're gone, um, but really valuing ongoing learning and curiosity about how our, our entire sector is changing and shifting at this time, and then translating that learning into action when we get back. So when we do go away and we hear a case study about an HIV AIDS organization, and we're working in an environmental organization. Let's stretch ourselves a little bit to go, how do I translate that case study into what might happen here? And how can I help the team try some of these things? And if there is a trusting and safe, innovative culture, then people are going to want to do some experimenting.
0: Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's right. I do wonder how many uh, directors of development directors of fundraising, feel that they can drive cultural change. I know you've laid out the way that, they, that, that d- people in that role can influence every part of the organization, but mm-hmm. they have to feel, if not actively invited, they yeah. have to feel that they're not treading on too many toes. I mean, right. they, have to, they may have to tread gingerly yes. in order to do that, start yes. small. And, yes. You know, so-
1: yes, and that's the power dynamic, Taking a moment yeah. to sort of assess the power dynamic in the organization and building those alliances early, and so maybe maybe the receptionist is the person who has all the power over the CEO and all the influence over the CEO. Then yeah. you bring that person a cup of coffee every morning, right? So like, so let me let me rephrase it in a, in a different way. Tell
0: me if I've got this right. If you are entering a new role or you're in a possibly fractious situation as a director of development. Um, the first thing to do is recognize that what's going to make you successful is this open collaborative culture. You've, you've got to work on the culture. If that's not there, if it is there and you're still failing, that's a different problem. Right. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but uh, if, if really you need to be thinking of, of, of playing a role, perhaps managing upwards mm-hmm. uh, to the ED if the ED yeah. is not leading on this, on this type of cultural uh, yes. transformation or is not set that culture going forward yes. and and take a, a genuine uh, honest assessment of how to build that at what pace what speed what direction what your strategy is going to be who you're going to work with mm-hmm. uh, to start to inculcate some of those behaviors some of that mm-hmm. openness mm-hmm. that you really need to see uh, even though you you may be a team of one uh, you need to speak to lots of other people, both inside and, and around the organization, sort of close partners, board members, and so on.
1: Mm-hmm. Does, that, and, does that make sense? And if, if the power dynamic is such that you don't have access to the chair of the board, for example, or the director of programs isn't going to take a meeting with you because they don't respect your predecessor, um, then we can, th- you know, there's four easy steps. It's first of all, tell a story and get it, tell, tell a compelling story about when it worked, to your CEO or that person with the power who can influence the other people and ask you know wouldn't it be interesting if we try to, to do a little bit of that here would you be would you be willing to help me with that and then making training around that part of ongoing conversations with the rest of the team and again using the stories to say what would happen if um, when you're out in the field you have a conversation about folks becoming A supporter of the organization. What would that conversation look like? How could you manage that? And why is that important? And then building the systems and structures. So if they need to have a little card that talks about why the organization is worthy of support or whatever it is, how to take a donation on the phone, building those structures to help it make it easy for people because they don't know and um, reinforcing when somebody does something really great, reinforce those actions and just slowly create that shift. And and it takes time. So we can't leave our jobs within 18 months. Yeah. And and the other the other piece, you know, there's two other pieces when you asked what can an ED do um, to keep their staff. I think we need to provide mentorship to junior staff and prioritize that during the work week. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's one thing to say Oh yes, you should participate in this mentorship program, but you can't leave your work day to go and do it. You gotta do it on yeah, weekends. Do it in your own time. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're gonna defend that. We're gonna be, we're gonna be champions for the fact that if you have a mentor for your junior staff or a mentorship program, that's gonna save you as an executive a lot of time. So invest in that. And then I have to say, because I, I would I have to say that corporations do this all the time. Consider a, a coach for your leadership team and that yeah. will save you a lot of time because if they can have private conversations around their hot mess of a life um with someone else then they can put together a plan to be successful in their work and and i i just don't think that we can um i think we need to talk about that more as a formal part of helping organizations um uh, okay their staff.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And I'll just make another plug for, uh, for coaching in that, or particularly in that, you know, having a, a coach for a team. Uh, I've seen this work really, really well. And it works for the individual executives in two ways. One, it obviously gives them a direct uh, confidential ear about the work that they're doing and about the team dynamics to someone who's, mm-hmm. who can see and can observe and, and so on. Mm-hmm. But it also helps them in another way, which is it takes pressure off the personal, their own personal relationships yeah, because it's the spouse or whoever it is at home or the best buddy or whatever oh, yeah. who's getting an earful all the time yeah. of the frustrations that this person has. So by having the coach, you help the work relationships, you help the home relationships, and you get <laughs> you a know better what? executive. You I've know? never
1: thought about that. I'll have to put that on my website. I save marriages. <laughs> 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 It, didn't, it never occurred to me. But the, the bottom line is that at the end of the day, the world needs us more than ever. Demand for the services the charitable sector provides has never been stronger. And yet we are still living with old dysfunctions from decades ago. And we have this opportunity in front of us to change the way we work together and how we build each other up and lift each other. And when we do that, we'll make more money. And when we do that, we'll have more impact in our communities. And And that's why I just think now's the time to be really bold and loud about staff turnover in organizations and fixing that problem.
0: Yeah, I think, I think the more effort uh, we put into our work cultures, and now if we are... More geographically disparate, and we're doing mm-hmm. things not necessarily in the same space and time mm-hmm. as we always would have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is an opportunity to look afresh mm-hmm. at some wow. of those. What I loved about what you were saying is, in an, in in a nutshell, if you if you're putting a certain amount of burden on fundraisers new in this role, or as I said, trying to to retain or, or repair elements of the role that they're already in, you're. Essentially saying allow them or bring to the table what you are so good outside of the organization. That is cultivating relationships, mm-hmm. listening to people, meeting them where they are, uh, understanding the e- emotional dynamics going on. Bring that inside the organization yeah. and EDs give them the space to do so yeah. and to, and to, and to um, conduct themselves inside the walls in the similar way that they do outside. Yeah. Would that be a fair summary?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. We need to go way upstream with this problem. Just presenting a radical direct mail pack or a new design for a case for support isn't going to go anywhere if we don't address some of these upstream challenges. Right. Okay. I I I love that. We've got um a few more minutes. I'm wondering if we
0: could start to think about um in this next normal, in this, you mm-hmm. know, this this uh world of of uh, uh, working from home or, or um, remotely and and doing things in different ways. Yeah. What opportunities then do you think that, that fundraisers have been developing over the last couple of years that they could bring to the table in terms of affecting culture in house?
1: Yeah. I wasn't really listening to your question because I had a whole bunch of thoughts going through my brain. So I'm going to tell you what I was thinking about opportunity, and then That's you can fine. tell me. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll reiterate the, the wonderful question. thing. These are the wonderful things that happened in the last couple of years within our sector. I can't tell you how many clients I have had who have been weighed down by burdensome special events cycles, <laughs> and they have been trying to convince their organization for years to cancel these events. And guess what? They disappeared overnight. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden fundraising became a lot more efficient. And that's a beautiful thing and it was not contained within a certain geographic boundary. The opportunities to look at us, you and I. I consider you a colleague and a friend now. That never would have happened without this virtual world. So right. We have that opportunity for our relationships to, um, for first of all, those really expensive 50 cent on every dollar events to not go back to doing those, but to mm-hmm. think about how we do those in a new and different way that's still super efficient and is not bound by geography and does not force people to put on real pants. So that's first thing. The other beautiful thing that happened during this crisis is that governing boards made decisions quickly. And um, if, if our boards can continue to lean in and be engaged and think about how we can lead our organizations through this changing landscape um, in really bold and innovative ways, I think that's beautiful. The other thing that we've noticed with uh, um, uh, racial reckoning. That we're going through. And it's not just in the United States. We have tragedy upon tragedy with our First Nations and Indigenous populations up here in Canada that we're just starting to dig into. And but another
0: dynamic here in the UK, too. Is there? The and it's a different, it's a different dynamic. Over the world. Uh, yeah, Yeah. it's it's a different dynamic.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So, so we have this opportunity, and I'm I'm absolutely going to continue this conversation, and we should be having it across all platforms. Is how do we look at the intersection between community centered fundraising and really great donor service? And there is these are not two different conversations. No, they are not two different conversations. And I think what the the
0: what I was thinking, what was spinning around in my mind, <laughs> as, you, as you shared, what was spinning around in your yeah, mind, yeah, yeah. regardless of the question that I forgot I asked anyway, is um, the, the Brave New World that we're looking at now offers an opportunity to, to think anew what it mean, what community actually means. Yeah. Because you don't need to, uh, just like with this platform here, Yahoo, you don't need to be physically present to participate right. in an event. Right you don't need to be physically present to be part of a community uh, of, of concern. You know, in a sense that the world's much, much smaller. So what, who, who our constituents are, who our communities, who we're serving, how we're serving them, how we're connecting Mm -hmm. members of our community to each other, to our call, all that is sort of up for grabs in a way.
1: right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And let's keep, let, let's go back to doing an assessment of what's working. What's, let's make sure we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. And let's make sure that we're not, oh, the uh, technology gap in the charitable sector. That's another piece where charities yeah. were forced to invest in technology and to learn that technology. And I, I mean, I'm one of those people that all of a sudden needed to figure out all sorts of things and learn new things. So so we have an opportunity there to look at how can we use technology in a way and still be human forward, still build those authentic relationships. And I was chatting with Ian Adar, who I've come to quite appreciate uh, in a clubhouse conversation on vulnerable leadership. And he had a big event. I think it's Grace Point Mental Health in Florida. I hope I have that right. But they had a big fundraising event and it was their first post-pandemic and they gave people choices on whether or not they wanted to be touched. And I thought, wow. So I don't know if the name badges or wristbands or whatever. I mean, I'd have a hug me one on. I'd be like, yeah, right. bring it all in. Full contact. Give me a big right. hug.
0: But yeah,
1: yeah. not everybody's going to want to leap up no, into in this world that. like that. Right. They might just want a f- elbow or a fist bump or whatever, which is totally fine. But we have we we are at a critical juncture in our sector where we are having deeper conversations like this more meaningful conversations and we're tabling issues that should have been tabled decades ago and and i really really hope that organizations um think about how they move forward in new and different ways Uh, on the board that i serve on last night our our executive director has decided we don't need a downtown office anymore actually for the young folks that work there working at home is fine working at hours that are more convenient for them is fine and we'll mm-hmm. find some kind of a hybrid where um we do intentionally gather in person in the future but we don't need to be constrained by that old expense and that old structure
0: right so yeah and that's just i mean that's 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 just the start i think there's so many so. Uh, potential yeah. uh, o- opportunities
1: yeah oh, oh, I thought of another one. Do we have time for another one? Yes, Foundation yeah. large foundations. You look at what the for the, the Ford Foundation completely yes. changed its granting structures. They're giving yeah. money faster with less constraint. Imagine. well, that's
0: that's what I think that's what I think we've proven anyway, one of the real sticking points, whether you're on the giving side in large foundations or whether you're on the delivery side in, in the service uh, side yeah. of uh, programming, programmatic side of nonprofits, um, you know, and I know you do a lot of work with boards. They, they have been notoriously slow at making yeah. decisions Yeah. Uh, or the board chair is so quick with the ED and then, and and, 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 and excludes everyone else because that's yeah. how they work at speed. I mean, that's not a great dynamic either. Right. Um, so, the, but, but what, what, Covid has taught us is that we actually can make uh, good decisions quickly. We yeah. actually can consider a lot of options with, uh, with a, within the context of uncertainty, mm-hmm. and not be far wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs>
1: absolutely. So this, so this idea, you know, we were so risk adverse as a sector, but when yeah. risk is, you know, jumping on us, we can respond. But maybe we can be proactive now going forward.
0: Well, I mean, in a sense, the risk-aversity is is a strange one in nonprofits because we're dealing with entrenched social problems. Yeah. Why would you be risk-averse about addressing those? I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me.
1: I know. It's this poverty mindset that we have within our organizations because we're charities. And, um, again, let's just, in the U.S. alone, $471 billion dollars of the economy is wrapped up in those charities we need to lead them with um we need to we need to lead and our boards need to do it our executive directors need to do it in canada it's only 10.6 billion or something that's all but it's eight percent of our gross domestic product eight percent so uh we have a lot of work to do to improve a lot of those systems, um, and and we should be proud about it, and we should be bold about it, and we should be innovative and and not apologetic. And no, um, I, I,
0: I don't think so. I think one of the the key distinctions between for profit and nonprofit, and listeners will know I make this distinction, and I've made it on uh, you know on Clubhouse, is that in in you know in, in for profit you provide a good or a service in exchange for money. It's yeah. basically you know one channel of communication whereas mm-hmm. in nonprofits we provide our programs and services yeah. to one community with a set of partners and information and language and so on and then completely separately we we'll have to generate revenue with a different set of partners and language and activities and so on and and really what we're talking about is is the people who lead that as fundraisers it's so vital to mm-hmm. the health of the sector yeah uh, that um you know, we, we, we have to get it right. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, it, we are at the center. Uh, Oh, I might get in trouble for saying that. Okay. But I do think again, the point that we are at the center of the organization in terms of all the touch points we have and influence we can make, Um, but we need to not see ourselves that way. And that comes that, that, that's that be the helper, the servant leadership that I'm talking about. If we're there to help, everybody else in the organization be successful we will be successful yeah
0: yeah no i think the fundraiser is the is the is is in a sense the 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 key enabler uh Mm -hmm. to to so many
1: other things
0: without having the the burden of the of the overall leadership of the ceo or ED. right
1: and yet we can't be arrogant about it because if we are arrogant about that and if we do take that for granted, and we do walk we'll be in, gone in 18 months, it, yeah, we'll be gone. And it's bad for the sector. It's just, yeah. you know, so. It's, yeah, it's I, bad um, for the profession I, uh,
0: within the sector, I think. Sorry,
1: so, I wasn't listening to you very well. It's,
0: it's bad for the profession within the
1: sector. Absolutely. The fundraising, yeah. You know. And it's too important to screw up. Like, it's just too important. We should be doing better. We should. We well, have- the for-profit sector
0: concentrates, you know, spends so much on uh, marketing and sales, right. uh, For a reason, you yeah. know.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. So, I, I I'm I'm um publishing a podcast with a woman who I worked with when I was working with a client, and she's um, a seven-figure donor, and we were working on a large campaign strategy. And they don't like to think of their philanthropy as philanthropy as giving money away she very much talks and her husband talks about it as a social investment. Investment, yeah. And they expect a return on that investment and they will hold the charity's feet to the fire to get the return that was promised to them. And I think that that's a a really healthy way of expecting more from organizations and the organizations that they work with deliver on that. So someone's going to give you a seven-figure gift they're going to hold your feet to the fire to be accountable and have impact as you promised, then you're going to do it. And, uh, and it, it, it was interesting to me to have that conversation with her and think about it from that perspective. And it just goes back to this idea that we're charitable, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah again, that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's another soapbox we could get on, uh, quickly, oh, but dear. we've, <laughs> yeah, we've, we've run out of time for this one, but, um, let's, uh, as I thank you, remind uh, everyone where where folks can find you online uh, if they want to reach out to you.
1: Well, um, at Kimberly Canada on Twitter and intersectionhub.ca, please join the community. I would just love that. Uh, I'd love to have five more people subscribe to my email list as a result of this conversation. That would be a win for me. And on Clubhouse, you know, I'm doing four weekly rooms on Clubhouse and I uh think that there's extraordinary potential for social audio apps. Mm-hmm. Uh I believe that Clubhouse is the one that people are going to get aligned around, but I know that Locker Room is turned into Green Room and Facebook has one now and Twitter Spaces too. Yeah. yeah, but I'm on Clubhouse because that's um that's where I'm having deep meaningful conversations and I would love folks to join us in those.
0: Yeah, we have a great time on on Clubhouse. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This has been uh, episode 41 of the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast. Thanks to my guest, Kimberly McKenzie, and also to Yacht as host and to Pod Pro Audio. Uh, we'll see you next Wednesday at 11 Eastern. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast. My guest today was Kimberly McKenzie. Where you can find on LinkedIn as at Kimberly Canada, as well as Twitter, Instagram, and Clubhouse. This podcast has been expertly produced by Glenn Munoz at Pod Pro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. Go to podproaudio.com.
1: You can join future conversations live by visiting nonprofitproblemsolver.com. Connect with Kev on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. For more information, visit havekayat.com because good causes deserve better results.